Hey everyone, I'm Fallon Fulce, and this is The Strategist, a place where you can come to learn tools, tips, and tricks to ditch your toxic workplace so that you can actually enjoy coming to work again. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of The Strategist. I'm Fallon Fulce, and this week I have a really special guest for you guys. This is actually the first guest I've had on my podcast, so I'm really honored to welcome Mary Brown. And um, let you know a little bit more about her and what she offers, um, as well as going over some ways to resolve conflict in the workspace. So welcome, Mary. I'm so glad to have you. Well, Fallon, I am so uh, overjoyed to be your first guest. What an honor. Thank you. So Mary, I want to just open up with a little bit, maybe tell the audience a little bit about what you do and kind of how you got to opening your own business um, and just learning a little bit about what you offer. Absolutely. I taught philosophy for over 20 years and mid-pandemic, like a lot of people, sort of did an assessment of what I want uh, the next 20 years of my work life to look like. And I left the university to start my own business. It's called Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services. And just past the two-year mark, which I'm very excited about. But basically what I do is I go into organizations and partner with them to address their conflict. Because conflict is normal. Everybody has it. And you're either dealing with it effectively, proactively, or you're having problems. And most people don't address their conflict. And so then everybody suffers. Yeah, I definitely have experienced a lot of that. And even in having like my first um, manager role, it was very interesting because naturally I'm not a person who wants to address conflict. I want to avoid it at all costs. But I started to realize how detrimental that was to my organization. And so I've recently had to really start to learn how to address the conflict rather than just ignore it or just pretend, you know, it wasn't even happening. Um, So it's really interesting. And I'm really excited to get into this with you because this is something I'm actively learning. So it's really awesome that I get to kind of pick your brain on this. Um, And so one of the things that um, I think we'll cover today is just going over some of the common causes of uh, workplace conflict. And so um, I don't know if you have any um, words of advice for us as far as for, you know, what you've seen in industry, what you've seen in your experience, and then like how you have um, found ways to overcome that. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to say though, Fallon, what you're experiencing is so common. People get promoted to this managerial role because they're good at the business, whatever the business may be. And then they get trained in maybe the business software or the way the organization, like what managers are supposed to do, but not with people. And we need to do a better job overall of coming alongside managers because they are the ones that deal with the bulk of people and therefore people problems and to really speak into them professionally so that they can deal with conflicts early, often, swiftly and justly in a confident way, because they're not just going through a a training session and they're done, but constant training because conflict happens for the, the life of the organization. So managers need to be trained. So yes, there are common causes of conflict. And the first first one that I see most often is lack of clear and direct communication. So when, we see this all the time, right? Uh, I'm told to do something and I do it. And the boss says, "What, what are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? Or the boss says, why aren't you doing this? And the person says, I didn't know I was supposed to do it. And there's so many different ways in which a lack of clear and direct communication causes a lot of conflict between um, peers and then also managers to the people they're managing. Yeah, I definitely have experienced that firsthand where I was not very clear with my employees saying, hey, you guys, this is what I really want you to do. And the product that they delivered was not what I was expecting. And in the beginning, I used to get very frustrated with that and just blame it on them of like, why don't you understand? But then I started realizing that I really had to take a step back 
and say, how could I have done that better? How could I have set them up better for success? And I think that that, because I've had bosses in the past where they didn't do that and they really did just always put it back on me. And so I realized that I had to make that change. I had to shift out of that. So that's so interesting that you bring that up because that is such a common thing that I've seen. And so I guess what's something that if you're in that position, what's a, like a method or something, some kind of tool that they could use where they could actually make that shift, make that change to where they're not blaming their employees? Yeah, that's a really a good question. Because a lot of times managers have been micromanaged and they say, I'm not doing that. And so sometimes they default to a hands-off and we want to find something in the middle, which is collaboration. So having regular conversations, regular check-ins, but not to say, you know, uh, you know, we see, we see these, uh, these, you know, people getting in trouble because their mouse isn't moving enough, you know, not check-ins like, you know, this sort of uh, keeping the, the seat warm, but really asking questions. How are you doing? Um, I think a really good question for both parties, the manager and then the um, just the everyday worker is, what does good look like to you? What does done look like? What does excellence look like? And this is my vision. Is that your vision? And this aligning of expectations, because I respect that we've got a bunch of adults and professionals in the room, but that does not mean we have the same vision, uh, given our expertise, our background, what good looked like at a different organization, uh, what success looks like. And so a lot of times I see in my work as a mediator is this misalignment of the boss saying, this, there's no way this person thinks they're doing a good job. And the other person saying, my boss does not recognize this good work I'm doing. So there's this clear disconnect. And so the, the key is regular communication about outcomes. And I think uh, one way the, the boss can not get into the micromanaging is by, you know, it's one thing to say, I want the dishes washed. And so a good outcome are the dishes being washed, not this is how you're going to set up the dishwasher. And this is how much liquid <laughs> detergent you're going to use, right? That is treating an adult and a professional as a child who doesn't have the resources and the creativity to know how to get the job done. But they do, do need to know that cleaning the kitchen means I, you know, I do want the dishes done because somebody might think it's not my job. That is so good. So I just want to unpack that a little bit because I think there's so many good things that you just said. So one, I think going back to what you were saying about aligning the expectations. And I think that is such a like core key thing that a lot of organizations don't take the time to do because that takes a minute to actually like stop the flow of what you're doing and the momentum and pause, right? It like takes that, like knowing that understanding of when it's appropriate to pause. And so I guess like, what would be one way that you could know when to pause, know when that's appropriate, because you don't want to always like continue to stop the flow of what's happening because you'll never get anywhere. But that's so interesting of like, making sure that you are taking that time to align with your employees? I think that begins when it has nothing to do with a particular project. It's about building relationships. And so the best managers mm -hmm. know how to build relationships. And I by no means be mean being nosy. I am against talking about colleagues or your workplace as a family. It's too fraught. It's too much pressure. It's very unclear about the nature of relationships and you might be fired or let go the next day. So, but really understanding if you're a manager, you need to take time to know your people and say hi to them and greet them and whatever that means, depending on the individual people that you work with, so that you really do have an open door policy. Let them know, hey, I trust you. We've talked about the you know the spec specifications of this project and what I want you to be doing. If at any time you have a question, let me know. 
you know, come to me. And, you know, then coaching that person. So if that person comes to you with a question that they have not Googled yet, then you can set expectations. Hey, you know, let's talk about this. But my expectation is, you know, I want you to look at these methods first and then come to me. But is if it's conversational, if it's we're all in this together, then you are putting and you are empowering your workers to know when to take that pause so that they can come to you. You don't have to, but, and if you haven't heard from them in what you, a time that you think you should have heard, that means that you have not communicated effectively your expectations about how you want to be state, you want to be kept in the loop and how often, and all of those really important expectations to set up at the front, but then leave the door open for regular communication because you've established a relationship that you believe in them, you trust them, you know that they can do great work. And if they have any issue, you're there as a resource for them. That is so good. Yeah. And I think that I have experienced that as well, like trying to build that relationship. And one of the things I struggled with because I was very new coming in, right? I mean, no one, it was a completely new department. No one in there really had ever worked with me before. Um, I didn't work with them. It was a very like basically like we were first date, like don't know each other, you know, like <laughs> you just showed up at the restaurant and you're like, oh, who are you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I think that was a big thing for me is like learning to how to build those relationships, but still get the job done while you're building that, like building mm -hmm. that trust over time. And that's one thing that I struggled with a little bit was because it's like, I initially wanted to be like, why don't you just like, why aren't we best friends yet? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so it was hard. It was hard to build that relationship. But after working on it and actually putting that work in, that's where the magic started happening, where it's like they did realize I was trustworthy, that I was consistent. I think that was one of the big things at the beginning is I was still trying to figure out, you know, what was going on and how I wanted to manage and so I was not consistent in the beginning. And so that I think hurt a lot of the relationships I was building. But once I started to be consistent, that's where it really, they were like, oh, okay. Yeah. She does. She is going to be there for me. She's going to, this open door thing is a real deal. Like it's not just words. Right. Mm -hmm. That was so good. And then <clears throat> I want to go back to when you were talking about micromanaging I love that because I have been in situations where I was micromanaged big time. Um, and I just, I don't do well with that. And I know a lot of people don't do well with that. And so I guess one of the things I wanted to learn a little bit more about from you is how, how do you effectively tell your people that you are like, this is what the outcome is supposed to be. Like, how do you make sure that they understand that? That's a really good question. And unfortunately, I think the answer is that it depends on who you're talking to. Mm, we, mm -hmm. a lot of times we think, and this is a, again, about the communication issue is we think I said it, I said it in an email. I said it in a meeting. It's clear. Well, who heard it? Right. And what, what is their expertise and are they new or have they been there for 20 years or have they? And so what they hear. So a wonderful way is to say, okay, this is my expectation. Um, put that in your own words. Tell me how you imagine that. And, and, you know, really partner with the person. If you are their manager, it's not like you've got all the, you, you, you're the brain and they're your minions. Right. Mm -hmm, but rather mm -hmm. these are effective, professional individuals who are creative and smart. And so partnering with them, you know, this is the direction of the organization, or this is this data that we actually, we have to get. So how do you see this being brought about? Um, is this a, re is this realistic? Why or why not? Uh, what do you see? What is your vision? How do you imagine uh, this project being pulled out? When do you think this is going to be available to be accomplished? This is what I need. What do you need in order to accomplish that? So really partnering with them and helping them craft the vision. So at the end, you've you've come up with together. And again, that doesn't mean there won't be any miscommunication, but communication isn't you've you're 
isolated, but it really, it takes, um, it goes over the life of whatever you're working on. And as they're working on one project, something could happen in their life. Um, they could get sick. Somebody else could get sick, financial issues. They could get a project from somebody else. And so, as you said, having that open door policy, which is really an open door policy. And if we aren't, if we don't have enough time to really talk to the people around us that, we, that we're managing, that, that is that is not going to bode well for anybody. It's certainly not the organization. Absolutely. I've experienced that too, where it's like, I want to be open and I want to have that open door, but I'm never actually in my office to be found, <laughs> you know, not because I don't <laughs> want to be, but I just have so much other stuff going on. So um, I think one of the ways that I found worked really well was to have regular meetings set up and I had it where it was like my entire department we would meet, but it turns into a lot of like groupthink kind of mentality and it's not very productive. At least I didn't experience it to be very productive. And I actually shifted that into having individual meetings with them um, or smaller group meetings where it made more sense, like these group of people we would meet. Um, so that was really helpful because that was one thing I struggled with was like not actually being available. Um, so that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, and I guess one thing is we've been talking about all of this in the lens of being a manager, managing your employees. But what is something where like your employee, if you are an employee and a, um, a contributor rather than a manager, what are some ways that you could make sure that you are in alignment with your boss? Many bosses, I would say most, want to succeed. When you succeed, they succeed. And sometimes I see, and I think sometimes women um, who are newer to roles can fall prey to this, not that men can't as well, <laughs> but being deferential, um, asking for permission, which makes it look like that you aren't effective, that you don't know what you're doing. And then it sends a signal to the boss, oh, I need to micromanage. And so I would really encourage people to note, trust yourself. You're there for a reason. And if you're new to a role or new to an organization, there, there is this getting to know how an organization does something and that, and that's very important, but always coming to a boss with, if you have a problem, have a solution, or at least this is what I have tried, right? So coming to your boss and saying, Hey, this is, this is what we talked about. This is where I'm at, and this is how I see the end product coming about. Is that aligning with your with your vision? Um, is there anything else that you would like to see happen? Do you have any other insights? But keeping your boss regularly in the loop so they don't have to guess. But that also takes time from the contributor's point of view. You have to know how to not tire your boss out, constantly coming to them, so that now they feel like they have to take care of you because you can't take care of yourself versus the total hands off and the boss should just trust me and, and they're micromanaging if they just even want an update. And so it's it's having that. And again, that it does have to do with your own personality and your own style, but being aware that giving updates is reasonable, but also giving reasonable amount of updates and asking for clarification if you ever have a problem. But you know, it's good to get alignment. And so going, being curious and, uh, you know, really asking for, is this what you're looking for? If you have no idea. Now, if you have no idea, then you probably should have had a conversation up at the front if you're still unclear. Yeah, I think that's so good because I do, um, I have done that to my bosses where I, one, would ask for permission and not rather than just like taking charge and going take responsibility for what my job role was. And I've also done the thing where it's like, I gave them too much updates and you could just tell on their faces, they're like, okay. And, <laughs> you know, and so it was learning that balance. And I honestly, I don't know if I even learned that balance until I did transition into being a boss where that other employees were coming to me with the same exact stuff that I used to do to my bosses. And I'm like, oh, this is why they had that blank stare on their face. You know, like, oh, now I understand. 
<laughs> so it was it's it was very eye opening going from the contributor role to being a boss and you're like, oh oh that's why. <laughs> that's it right. Was, yeah, it is so true, and I think so. It's the boss's role, um, the manager's role to to really think about the people that report to them and and how they like to be communicated, what their communication style and the work style is. But it's also, so it's our job for whoever we are reporting to, does this person prefer in-person? Do they want paragraphs? Do they want bullet points? Do they want text? Do they want Slack? Do they ask, what is your preferred mode of communication? What is too much? What is not enough? Would you please tell me if I, if you would like this information packaged in a different way? Do you want it once a month, once a week, two times a week? And then just do it. Even if it's not your preferred style, that's a wonderful opportunity to learn that the work environment isn't just about you and your preferred style. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I guess like overall, the arching thing that I'm hearing is it's like just be upfront about communicating and open about what your expectations and your goals are from both perspectives, right? From a manager and from an employee standpoint, because when we have that open communication, that's when we actually achieve the goals that we want to achieve, because Mm -hmm. then you're not wondering, well, I'm running into this roadblock and I have no idea what to do, but I can't tell my boss you know, out of that fear of like, oh, they're going to think I don't know anything. And same thing with the boss of saying, this is my expectation. This is where we're going to end up and guiding the employee to get there rather than giving them the exact recipe of how you think it should go. And so I think that's fascinating. Um, And I think that's such a good a good thing to keep in mind, like as you are trying to create less conflict in the workplace, like just keeping that in mind is huge. Yeah. So I'm curious, like what other uh, things that you see in the workplace, like what's your other um, common things that you see? That cause conflict? Yes. Um, so a lot of times people, they have a, a mission statement, they have value propositions, but they're very externally focused. So how are we going to treat our clients? How are we going to treat our stakeholders? But there's a lack of employee-centric values which means when I come to work, how should I expect to be treated and how should I expect to treat others? So having three to five um, values in which I am expected to follow and there, and I can expect that treatment to myself. Another way to talk about this is like civility statements. What does it mean in this organization to treat everybody with dignity and respect and encourage them to flourish? Because we're all people, we all have bad days and we don't all treat the break room the same way because we have these different standards of cleanliness. I was just talking to um, a friend of mine and uh, a an email went out and then everybody had to print it and sign it about how they will keep the company van because there were different expectations about what it means and what you can do to the company van. And I think, well, you know, that's one way to do it. That's what a lot of people like to do is just an email blast. And everyone's like, yeah, I know that's the standard. But when we don't have these clear communications, especially in this diverse world, which is wonderful, if we want to take advantage of the diversity of being in our organizations, then we need to have what's acceptable and what's unacceptable behavior, civility clauses, because we are at work. We're not at your home. We're not at your church. We're not at someplace else. We're at a work environment. So how can we ensure that everybody is treated well? And so having those conversations and aligning our expectations about basic work culture, which is always dynamic. Uh, so a lot of conflicts come up because I didn't think that was my job. Right? I didn't think or I thought this was okay. And somebody else says that's clearly not okay. I think that's so good. And I I think that's something that a lot of people don't really think causes a lot of conflict in the workplace. But when I think back on it, like, as you were talking, there were so many things I'm like, yep, that happened. Yeah, that was an issue. (laughs) And so it's so interesting, because that's such an underlying conflict that I don't think people really think about. 
where it's like, how do you keep the fridge at work? Like, is it clean? What's the definition of clean? You know, and especially when you have so many different people and you don't want to make it to where it's so strict and so many rules to where people feel very constricted and they don't feel like they can be creative in that space. And so I'm interested because I have definitely been on the receiving end of some of those emails where it was like, here's your expectations and please sign this as if it's like some legal binding document, right? Like you can go get it stamped or something. And to me, from being on the receiving end of that, those kinds of ways of communicating that does not always, is not always received very well. So how, where have you seen things that work really well and like what form of communication works best that you've seen where it causes the least amount of ripple effect it you know but it still gets the point across and it's like here is the expectation rather and maybe it goes back to what you were saying with the um, having the three to five values just up front but I'm curious to see like what you've seen work and what doesn't work Hmm. Well, I think after we set what the basic expectations are, and I think they really should be closer to three than five, you know, just very basic. What are these basic ways in which we're going to treat one another? But then also having conversations about what that looks like here in this culture. You know, if we are hybrid, if we're completely remote, if we're in person, depending on the kind of work we do, the culture that we're in, there's just a variety of um, factors that need to be addressed and th- th- what does it mean here what does that really mean here and so many you know organizations are global so what does that really look like and th- and trying to come up with your team of concrete examples of what good looks like when it means you know if if one of the expectations is uh we're going to care for one another okay well what the heck does that mean yeah you know? exactly <laughs> you know we're going to communicate okay what the heck does that mean yeah. You know, so, so many times, again, the boss says, well, I said it. That means I communicated like, absolutely not. <laughs> or, you know, you get these emails <laughs> and whoever's in charge thinks, oh, I let people know. And it causes chaos because it, like, what does this acronym mean? Where are we meeting? What is going on? What is, you know, and um, the art of keeping people in the loop and, and, and talking to them. And so anyway, um, I really love the question of what works. Unfortunately, when I'm called in, it's mostly because what's not working. So <laughs> yeah. back back to this van example that was recent, the end of this email was that if you violate this policy, um, you'll be subject to, um, you know, punitive, whatever, up to termination. Whoa. <laughs> so right there, that sets us versus them. Right. This organization is clearly not for you. It does not mean that there aren't terminable offenses. That seems completely outrageous that you would be threatening somebody's job because they're not keeping the van the way you want them to. There seems like so, so why would you even need to do that? Something is seriously wrong in that organization that that would even be thought that that would be acceptable to say. Right. That's Mm. very childish. Um, and it's going to lead to fear. It's going to lead to backbiting, gossip, us versus them, um, pulling an organization apart. So when you think about civility clauses, you have to think about the real world where people do have bad days, people do make mistakes. And if you have a climate where you um, can't apologize for having a bad day. You have to just pretend. We don't allow people to make mistakes. They have to pretend. Imagine in hospitals, which is true in many hospitals, um, or air traffic controllers, if we don't allow people to make mistakes because we're going to fire them, the mistakes those people make are life and death mistakes. And if we can't admit a mistake, that means it's probably going to happen again because there's an organizational issue. There's some sort of system problem that's not going to be addressed because I have to cover it up because if I admit it, then, you know, something terrible is going to happen. Mm. So we have to make our organizations fit for human persons and human persons are not perfect. Uh, We have to allow for the person who's, child just died or they just got uh, their partner has a 
cancer diagnosis or their mother is in bankruptcy now or there's so much that happens let alone i just don't really care for everybody at work they're just not my cup of tea you know they 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 are interested in sports and i'm not or i don't know whatever it may be so this real really striving for but we're at work and we're looking towards the mission and that's why it's very important to really know what the mission is what are we trying to do where are we trying to get and how can we help each other cuz when i am better the organization's better that means you're you're better more resources more security it's better for the community this ripple effect and I wish I could tell you off the top of my head some successes, but I typically come into organizations at the beginning or when something has gone wrong and try to help them to turn the ship around. But turning the ship around takes years. It just Mm -hmm. does. It does. Because once you've lost trust, you don't just get it back. People have to see it over and over and over. It's easy to lose trust. It's hard to get it back. It's and so a lot of institutions, because they haven't taken this seriously, what the day-to-day looks like and the fact that we all feel those little slights when that person didn't smile at me, heaven forbid, you don't get asked to a lunch that your colleagues got asked to. People will rehearse that. I hear that three years ago, they went to lunch and didn't ask me, right? We, we really feel that. So how do we write those? How do we make an environment where we treat people as adults. We don't take on their own, their own emotions, right? We hope, right, you right. know, but we do have a way for people to have real conversations about slights. This is, that was so good. There's so many things in there that I was just like, yes, <laughs> sorry, yes. Sorry. I could just go on and so on about good. this. <laughs> so good. I think one of the things that, that I took away from that the most was make our organizations fit for humans. And so often I, I find, especially in like a corporate kind of setting where you're supposed to just check your personal life at the door. And when you're at work, it's only work. And I find that that is such a terrible model because we are humans at the core, right? We're not these robots that just go to work and get the job done. And so I think that that is such a big, and it's interesting too, because it's like we pretend at work that we are not human, that we don't have these emotions, that we don't feel upset because our coworkers went to lunch without us. And we're supposed to just keep it all together and keep it all in and pretend that doesn't exist. I think that that is such a big fallacy in the corporate design that I think is causing huge amounts of chaos and conflict. And it makes it so hard to want to go to work in that environment. And when you're in that environment, you're so conditioned that it really, it makes it toxic and miserable to be there because you feel like you can't be yourself. And I think that's so it goes back to when you were talking about people sending out these mass communications, like at the van situation at the end, writing, you could be terminated because you don't keep a van clean. And what I learned from that part of what you were saying, it's like, likely that person who was writing it was really ticked off that the van was not kept clean, right? So they were probably writing that very frustrated and very emotional, which is interesting going back to the make the organization fit for humans, right? Because when you're pretending that that you don't have those emotions, but then you write in the email that you're going to get terminated because you don't keep a van clean, that is the emotion leaking out. And it's like you lost that control for a minute and you became human. And then <laughs> you like went back to the robot. I don't understand why everybody got upset about that. <laughs> so, and so it's so interesting because that is such a horrible like setup that became corporate that I think so many people are trying to fight against, but they don't know how and they don't know. And honestly, the how to me that 
I've experienced is to allow people to be human to like, there's been so many instances where my employees, there's, they start not doing their job or they do it incorrectly and they don't. But then I later find out that they had something personal going on. And instead of punishing them, we just talk about it and we actually just work through it because at the end of the day, we are human. And I think that is something that I think corporate and business has to take into account or we're at the point to me in society where we're no longer going to put up with that. You know, it's gotten to the point where it's like, this is broken. This is not working. If you're not going to acknowledge that I'm even human, why am I working here? And I think that because you used to hear like, this is something that I've been um, seeing as a trend happening in corporate where you have so many people who retired recently within the past like five to 10 years with 30, 40, 45, maybe even 50 years of, at one company. And then now it's five, 10. You're lucky if you get somebody who's got 15 years at one spot. And it's just so interesting because I think that is what they're responding to is I don't want to be treated that way. So I'm not going to stay at your company and be loyal to you. Yeah. So I think that's so interesting that you're bringing that up. And I know I went on for a little bit, but that was no. just so good. Like it was, yes, that is exactly what's happening. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, yeah, we say, and a lot of times, again, we fault women for being emotional and that's just not true. We're yes. all emotional and you see it just, you know, we see anger, we see frustration. And so there's so many things wrong again with that, that memo that went out. But one is that this person really is frustrated and they have not been empowered to search that person or persons out because it's a smaller organization. It's not like, you know, it's a thousand, you know, and you do have to think about scale, right? Mm -hmm. um, still the whole termination is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that person is feeling powerless. They're feeling taken for granted. They're feeling put upon. They're feeling. And so we can have legitimate conversations and people do do things wrong all the time. But I think a lot of times people are doing stuff out of ignorance. A lot of times we treat company cars like we keep treat our own car. We treat the refrigerator like we treat our own refrigerator, our desk, like we treat, you know, our things at home because we're just whole people. And we have a code of what we think is acceptable unless, unless we have conversations and we're shown something else. Right. And you know, fit for humans, we have mechanized the workplace so much. We just love metrics. We love numbers. We love reducing people to numbers. And people just are not, they are not. If you want engagement, if you want productivity, if you want creativity and innovation, unfortunately, or fortunately, you have to treat people as individuals. And individuals go through menopause, have babies, get sick, um, have children in crisis, uh, have successes, have all these adventures, have dreams. And um, yeah, this loyalty, you know, we the, the organization wants uh, us to treat them as if in this particular way. But yeah, job hopping is, is very um, common because people want raises and they're not going to get in their own organization. So I think the length of a lot of younger people is about two years and they leave for the reasons that you're saying, because they're not being what they perceive is treated well. And part of that is pay. So mm -hmm. one of the ways to get ahead financially is to go to the next organization, which you would think businesses would catch on to this and say, hey, let's just develop the people here because <laughs> they're fantastic and we'll all benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely seen that where people will job hop for pay. Um, and I think that at the root of it, is they're deriving their worth from money. And if you're not getting paid, then you're not being valued. And to a certain extent, that is true, right? Because money is an exchange of energy. Like I am going to pay you this because you give me this service. And if that's, I'm not paying you enough, but your service is greater and you're giving more than you're receiving, then obviously you're going to feel undervalued. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that's not right, but when you go to another organization without addressing that particular issue and healing that in yourself, 
then in the next iteration of your work, two years down the line, you're going to feel undervalued, underpaid and want to job hop again. And it just creates this ripple effect of constantly or a cyclic effect where you job hop and then you continue and you think, oh, this organization is going to be different. But when you haven't healed yourself, then you're going to attract the same exact situation until you learn from it and learn that I am not judged by, or I should not judge myself by what they're giving me and what is enough, you know, what is enough, what is, and it could be that you're trying to put all of your eggs in one basket of this company needs to fulfill me wholly. And it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always say like this company fulfills every single part of my needs you know, and I think we try to put it in that box and have unrealistic expectations of the company, you know, and not to say that every company is great and is good fit for you, but if you're constantly job hopping, then that could be part of it is that you're not really learning and growing. You're just expecting the company to fit exactly what you need in all facets of your life. And that's just un- unrealistic. Yeah. And that's such a good point of, what should our jobs be doing for us? You know, mm-hmm. we think about ourselves as whole people. And what is that role? And the answer is it's different for different people. And it's healthy or on that spectrum of unhealthy, healthy, uh, <laughs> depending on where we are. And it's also something to remember about our colleagues. We are at an organization for a variety of different reasons. And I might have this really full home and social life. And so I'm really just here to get this job done, maybe because I care about the mission, maybe because I care about paying my mortgage and feeding my people back at home. Some other people might really derive their um, their social network from what's going on at work. And so realizing that we have different expectations, a different um, what it is that we want to have happening for us personally at work. It's as varied as, as many people you're coming in contact with. Yeah, absolutely. I think just being more upfront and realistic about what your expectations are for what the company is going to fulfill for you um, and developing hobbies and things to do outside of that. Although that does come into the whole work-life balance because some companies don't really give you that time to go and do the things outside of work, but maybe that's part of when you do job hop, you look for something else like that, where it fits more of your expectations. And then maybe you don't have to job hop after that, you know, because it's, it, you're more upfront about what you're expecting rather than it just meets all your needs. Yeah. So I think that's really important. You know, of course, a lot of times people believe, um, you know, they say people leave, uh, people, not organizations. And that's Mm. not always true, but it is true. A lot of times it's a colleague we can't take anymore. It's a manager we can't take anymore. And I think you're entirely right. If we don't deal with that conflict, the next place you go, you will find tiresome people. You will find people you don't like. You will find people that you think maybe are trying to sabotage you. So we have to develop resilience. What am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to move forward in the world independent of what anybody else does, independent of anybody else's values, but becoming a problem solver. Conflict resolution, first and foremost, starts with you. You decide how you're going to be treated and you decide what you're going to do next. And you don't have to wait for the other person. That's disempowering. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's a big thing that people miss sometimes when they're so caught up in that I don't like this person at work or I don't like the situation. I don't like the way the company's headed or whatever it is. And they forget that it all starts with them and their perception of what's going on, how they address it, how they resolve the conflict rather than just running from it and go to another company and wish for the best, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, what other, do you have any other little nuggets of uh, wisdom for us as far as for some common things you see in the workplace? Um, I see in general, not just with people I've worked with, but just in the culture, I see a lot of leaders, you know, talking about these new ways of doing things and, um, you know, belonging and how do we get psychological safety and all of these 
wonderful buzzwords that I think are can be more than that, right? Things that we really want to embody. And yet at the end of the day, they are command and control. They are, I am the leader. You have to guess my mind. You are my minions. Do what it is I want you to do. And I think some of the battle between the generations is because um, a lot of people aren't interested in that anymore. You know, they want to collaborate. They want to be seen. They want to actually belong and they actually want to use their talents and they want to contribute. And this veiled, um, uh, quote unquote, company culture of we're all in this together is most times a facade. And I don't I don't really like to beat up on leaders because leadership is very difficult. But if you put yourself in a leadership role, you are held to this particular standard and spotlight. And so if you're a leader, you need to have your ducks in a row. You need to have coaches. You need to be able to continually be able to hear real feedback and not stack your cabinet, which I see of people just saying, yes, yes, you hung the moon and the stars too. And that is very off-putting and that causes conflict. That causes, that means we're not going to tell you what's really going on. We are going to have factions. We're going to have gossiping. Gossiping is always a big sign that there's something wrong in management. Um, we are not going to be treating people with dignity and respect because it's me versus you. It's this. So command and control. And unless we're in a war and we need somebody to say, the zombies are coming and this is what we got to do. All things being, you know, barring something like that, we really need to have leaders come into the 21st century and get rid of that mentality that it isn't all about you. If people think it's all about you, if they're just singing your praises, you got to get out of the way. That's what I think. I think that's so good because I definitely have personally experienced that where it's interesting too, because there's been a big transition out of that, but I've definitely experienced where management was this like secret cabinet of people where it was, they only knew what was going on and none of the employees were privy to any of that information. And we all just like kept guessing and we never knew what was really happening. And it definitely created this like us versus them situation. Um, and it's been interesting seeing this new wave of leadership coming through that does not do that and is actually legitimately open book, open door. Um, seeing that transition because there's it's so interesting because going from that type of mentality of us versus them, having people who grew up in that environment in their career very much distrusting the fact that that was even real like they didn't believe that this new wave of leadership actually did mean that they were going to tell them what they could tell them and were open about hey yes I do know something but you aren't you don't really need to know at this point you know and just having that being said over and over I think was a big deal where it made people realize oh, maybe they are kind of serious about this. But it was so interesting seeing that transition. And it's still happening where people are very much in disbelief that the younger generation is actually legitimately wants to work as a team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's, it, the transition has occurred on paper and yes. you're very, very rarely would you actually find a thought leader that says no command or control. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know them. Certainly, they're probably <laughs> out there, you know. Yeah. But um, that's not in vogue. But something happens, and I understand because when you're in charge, you feel this. You know, like when you are the the top person, you feel the weight, and you should feel the weight. And there, of course, there are going to be things that you know that other people don't know. But it's a lot of it is, as you said, it's information dissemination. How do we really collaborate? How do we really see it as us? And that it that's the tenor um, of the organization goes from the head down. Now it's everybody, but if the top doesn't, you know, walk the walk, if they don't really um, believe and empower and trust their employees, they will not be empowered. They will not feel trusted, and then 
creativity, innovation, um, engagement, belong, all, none of that will happen. All the good stuff, all the stuff we need for the kind of thought economy that we're in today, that, um, you know, those, those kinds of jobs, we really need to be able to work together. But that is getting rid of these rigid systems. Universities are notoriously bad at rigid systems. Um, I work a lot with universities, no universities, and that is is a very structure. And then you also have the us and the them, the administration, the faculty, mm-hmm. and um, it's um, it just causes a lot of problems. Yeah, I could see that. I hadn't realized that universities were that way. I mean, obviously, I went through university, but as a student. And so I don't really, you know, as a student, you don't really see that side of the university. So that's interesting that that exists there because I wouldn't have expected that to be there. So that's very interesting. So I think that that in general, just like, I absolutely love this conversation. There were so many things. Um, And I, I'd like to know just like, if you had one or two things to for us to take away as far as for how to best should I think the best way to, to phrase this but it's like um what are like some takeaways that we can have as far as for um being good like getting better at re- resolving conflict because I think that that has been such, it's such an important topic that I don't think a lot of people really address. Yeah. So, you know, change management. Yeah. Change is here. And a lot of times we say people don't like change. And I think that's true to a certain extent because it's the uncertainty of the future. Um, But change can be really good. And the fact of the matter is it's the name of the game because everything is constantly changing. And so that's what I would say about conflict is that you should expect it. If you're not currently in conflict with anyone right now, just wait a few minutes. I mean, <laughs> you will be in conflict. So expect it. it. But conflict is not necessarily bad. In fact, it's, if there is no conflict, that's a sign that everyone has tuned out and they don't care. They're not going to tell you what they think. That You do whatever you want. I've tuned out. So con- managed conflict means that you're doing something right, that people can actually bring their ideas they can actually be told no, they can actually be told yes, and this can be incorporated or that can be incorporated. And so managed conflict is what we want. So my advice is expect conflict. And because we know we're going to have conflict because we're human persons, wherever you have human persons, you'll have conflict, prepare yourself to deal with it. So that's different for different people. If you're a conflict avoidant, like I have been most of my life and participate in wish fulfillment, then I know that's my issue. If I'm really brash and I tend to uh, you know, beat people down with my ideas, which causes conflict, then that's what I need to work on. But a lot of it's self-knowledge, right? So know that conflict is going to happen. Prepare yourself now so that you can de-escalate yourself and have a fruitful conversation so that you can restore that relationship and move forward. That's what I would say. Know you're going to have it. When you see it, address it early, often, quickly, justly. Because we all know those conflicts that if we would have said something in the beginning, right? we train people how they're going to, what's acceptable to treat us. We let people know. And if we never say, hey, you've been calling me mayor, my name is Mary, and that really bothers me. Or you call me Mary Elizabeth. My name is Mary, but I haven't said anything to you, but it's bothering me. Right? So we need to have those conversations and we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that doesn't go away in recognizing that. I think that is so good. And I think definitely growth is in the uncomfortable. So in order to actually change and see something good, just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That is so good. So I want to know a little bit more about this book that you just put out and uh, where we can get it and like, what's it about and how can it help us? Well, thank you. So it's called how to be unprofessional at work tips to ensure failure. And it's 80 tips of what not to do uh, on one. So um, the way that it's laid out is you've got a tip in bold, like be petty, how to be unprofessional, be petty. And 
So uh, that's on one side. And then the other side just starts a conversation about if you're petty uh, in an organization, how that's going to negatively impact your reputation or be lazy or don't return emails or gossip or yell. The reason I wrote this book is because we can usually decide what we ought not be doing. Like we ought not be yelling in our organizations. Okay, so what should we do, be doing instead? It's harder to put it in the positive. Um, like we know we should dress professionally, but it's not always easy to say exactly what that is, which means that we need to have conversations. Um, let's say bullying. Like we know we're not supposed to bully. And but that word gets used a lot. And I'm and somebody might say, that person's bullying me because they're yelling at me. And the other person says, I'm not yelling at you. So having conversations about how do we communicate with one another? What's acceptable and what isn't? And so that's the idea of the book. There are these 80 tips that my vision is that for somebody who's new to an organization, that's sort of like an inside scoop of, hey, if you do these sorts of things, you're going to get a negative reputation and that's going to impede your growth um, either in this organization or wherever you want to be because everything's about networking, right? And you are always developing your habits and your reputation. But also I imagine it would be great for a manager to, with their team, they get together once a week or something and go through one of the tips at you know, every meeting. It takes five, maybe 10 minutes. And that means for a year and a half, this group will have been having conversations about expectations at work. Now, wh- why should I take, um, why should I take vacation, right? Because one of them in there is don't take vacation time. That's unprofessional. No, we need to set a different expectation. So how do we do that in this work environment that covers everybody's bases, but people are really free to get respite and to enjoy their life? So a way to get the conversation going. I am certainly no guru that says this is how everybody should behave, but I do believe in starting the conversation because what it means to dress professionally, if you are a lifeguard versus um, a nurse, it's going to look very different, right? Um, but we do know that we need to be clean. But again, cleanliness has a lot to sometimes have to do with, with cultures and smell certainly has to do with cultures, but having those conversations helps us to start talking to one another about low stakes issues so that when difficult things come up and they will, we're used to having conversations with people and we're used to dialoguing and collaborating. So anyway, that's my vision for the work, for the book itself. Yeah. So I actually, I have a copy and it is wonderful. I actually used it at work a couple of weeks ago when we were having an issue um, and use some of the um, examples in there as far as for like, okay, how can we fix this? And so it was super helpful in guiding some of that conversation. So if you um, have not gotten a copy of it, I highly suggest you guys going out. I think it's available on Amazon and anywhere else. We can put it in the show notes of like where you can get it. Um, But it is really a great resource. And I love your idea of using it in your weekly meetings or, you know, your periodic meetings that you have with your employees to actually go over what are the expectations? Because I do think it's going to be a great conversation starter. So I'm really excited to start using it in that way. Um, And make sure you guys go out and get a copy of that because it is a great book and a great resource. Thanks, Alan. I'm so glad that it was helpful. It was very helpful. Um, So I just want to thank you so much for being on the show this week. And I really look forward to maybe having you back on the show because I think that this is such an important topic and conversation that not very many people are really discussing because it is uncomfortable. So I just thank you so much for your work and all that you're doing because I think it is really, really great and much, much needed. So thank you so much. Thanks, Fallon. Thank you for having me on your show. (laughs) Anytime. All right, guys, thank you so much. And I will see you guys next week.